First off, everybody, be encouraged today because we all have hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be encouraged today because we are all sons and daughters of the Most High King. And be encouraged today because our Father wants you to have his rest. We're in the series called Sabbath. And I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but this one's tough. It's not just tough for some of us, it's tough for, for all of us. We live in the most workaholic culture that there has ever been in the history of the world. Let me say that again. We live in the most workaholic culture that there has ever been in the history of the world. And we're not the winner of this distinction just today. We're not the winner of this distinction just this month or this year or this decade. We are the winner and we've always been the winner. Or maybe I should say the loser. It seems like we live to work. It seems like this is the most important part of our life. Somehow along the road we lost sight of the goal and what was important. Now I'm not saying we don't have to work. It says in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, that there is a time for everything. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to, to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. In fact, if you keep reading in Ecclesiastes, it talks about a time to work and finding joy in that work. But not the kind of joy we so often seek, but the joy of the Lord. This verse also means that there is a time for Sabbath. This time for Sabbath is so important to our health, our renewal, and yes, important to, for us to be able to even find the joy in work. It's so important that God commands us to keep the Sabbath day holy. In fact, it's number four on God's top ten list. Keep the Sabbath day holy. There is a piece of this, however, that you might find comforting if you are finding it hard to be completely rested. Know this. We will never find full rest on this side of heaven. We never were meant to experience that kind of rest here. Because God gave us that restlessness, a restlessness that keeps us from becoming complacent, a restlessness that should have us searching for what he planned for us here so that we can practice for what he has kept for us there. 
a plan that is supposed to draw us closer to Him, He set aside this Sabbath time to renew us and give us little glimpses of what the rest is going to look like in heaven. We should be using this time to prepare our hearts for what He has for us in heaven, but instead of preparing our hearts for heaven, we are killing them with the world. We are killing them because we don't know what rest is. We fool ourselves into thinking that we have it all figured out. I think we would all say we want it, but the question is, do we want it the way God meant it? We've allowed the world to tell us what defines us, and we've been lulled into thinking we know how to get that rest that Sabbath requires. Most people mistakenly believe that the way to stop working is to simply not work. That in itself is ample evidence to see that our relationship to work is out of whack. So even if you do not see the benefit or need for the Sabbath the way that God meant it, let's argue on behalf of an institution that has kept workaholism in check for thousands of years. The inventors of Sabbath knew that it was much more complicated undertaking than to just not work. They knew that you could not casually and easily downshift. That is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They knew that it required a great amount of will and discipline. You see, our culture does not suffer because of the Sabbath, meaning regulations. We are suffering because of lack of the Sabbath. Our relationship to work is so seriously out of whack that if we believe that we can rest by just knocking off, then we are hopelessly naive. We must understand that the need for Sabbath rest is a life or death thing. Interrupting the ceaseless striving requires great will and must be bolstered by acceptance and habit. As I said earlier, we are the most workaholic culture ever. I want to list four reasons why I believe that this is true and then focus on one of them that I believe ties them all together. Number one, jobs more and more in Western culture are not secure. People are constantly worried about their jobs. In some jobs, there's no loyalty from the employer or there's no loyalty from the employee. People are constantly worried about work. Number two, there is research that states where people at the top of a company used to be paid 10 to 20, 10 to 20 times more than the people at the bottom of the company. Some research now says that it's more like 100 to 200 times. It's a huge difference. And those people that are making that money are working lots of hours just in order to keep their jobs. And if they don't want to do it, then there's somebody in line that will. And the people at the bottom of the ladder, why are they struggling with finding rest? Well, they're having to work multiple jobs just to make ends meet. Technology. 
Number three, technology. Those little phones that we all have in our pockets. The thing that we can Google anytime we need to instead of going and find the Cyclopedia Britannica and looking it up. Those little phones have created havoc in our world. Those phones have made it easy for us to work anywhere. So what do we do? We work everywhere. We have no break. No break. And here's the one I want to focus on this morning, where traditional culture told us we got meaning for our life from our families. In those times, it was more important to fulfill a prescribed role, husband, wife, father, mother, daughter, son. Family was the focus. Work was not that important. You only had to find a way to make ends meet. Because family was what it was all about. We are the first culture in history that says you define yourself by deciding what you want to be and attaining it. Then you have significance. Many of you remember the movie Rocky? I know you're wondering which one. There's only one good one. That was the first one. I'm surprised they haven't come out with Rocky 3300, Rocky versus the Predator, the battle for the universe. There's one part that I remember in that movie that I think fits what I'm talking about here. Let me set the scene. It's the night before Rocky's big fight with Apollo Creed. He's, he's been walking around all night, and he walks in to the room where Adrian's at, and she asks him what's wrong, and this is... This is kind of how it goes. I'm going to be playing both parts in this scene. So let me do this. Apologize for my Rocky accent. I can't do it. What? I can't beat him. Apollo? Yeah, I've been out there walking around thinking, I mean, who am I kidding? I ain't even in the guy's league. What are we going to do? I don't know. You worked so hard. Yeah, that don't matter, because I was nobody before. Don't say that. Oh, come on, Adrian, it's true. But that don't matter either, you know. Because I was thinking, it really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if the guy opens my head either. Because all I want to go, all I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance, you see, and the bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. Rocky set a goal and attained it. He even exceeded it. He beat Apollo Creed that, night, that next night. <clears throat> but he never found rest. He never found peace. You know, come to think of it, that's probably why the rest of the movies were so bad. You see, there was always another goal to reach. 
In the back of his mind, there was always someone or something to fight that was going to prove that he wasn't just another bum from the neighborhood. There's a writer, Judith Shulevitz, for the New York Times. She calls this thought process the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. We can't seem to find rest in who we are. So we continue setting goals. We continuously strive and work for a goal that we will never, ever reach. We're never happy with where we are. In a lot of our minds, we're just that bum from the neighborhood. Unless we, unless we attain the goal that we set. The problem is, is there's never an end to the goal setting. There's always something else that will get us where we need to go. There's always something else in order to prove that we're not that bum. And then, and only then, can we rest. Somewhere in time, our culture, we got sidetracked. We got bamboozled. Does everybody know what bamboozled is? Don't, don't get worried. That's a Greek word. Bamboozled. The Greek definition is we got suckered. We allowed the prince of this world to feed us a lie that we believed. Not only do we believe it, but we began to encourage it. We began to believe that if we felt family was the most important thing, then we should make work the most important thing. And that is when we set family aside for work. And we changed what rest looked like. And it began killing the heart. It began deteriorating the type of legacy that we wanted to leave behind. We somehow forgot what God asked us to remember in Sabbath rest. As I was studying uh, about the Sabbath, we've been reading a book called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. And in it, he told a story about his wife's grandmother that really impacted me uh, with what happens and it impacted me in, in a way that made me realize what we are setting aside. I want to read that story to you. In British Columbia was the wilderness that old gold prospectors, Yukon-bound, plied their trade. Searching for Aladdin's cave, surviving by hardiness and foolhardiness. These were men, wily and stubborn, living by the skin of their teeth, but some didn't have to go to the Yukon. Some struck gold right here in this province. In pockets where swift rivers spilled out of mountains, clawing loose rock and mineral on their way down, strewing their plunder through valleys where the water slowed and bent. My wife's grandmother, Alice, used to live in a place like that, in a little town called Enderby. And in her middle years... In the late part of the 20th century, men with lingering gold fever still went there to try to dredge up what they could from the river. They still bored deep into the hills, propping up the earth with a rickety skeleton of rough-hewn timbers that almost always, at some twist in the tunnel, gave way. One day, Grandma was in her backyard polishing a large stone. It was a boulder that sat athwart her garden, too big 
to move. It was one of those stones, round and smooth, tumbled by eons of wind and ice and water, thickly embedded with glittery chunks of mineral. She was polishing it with sandpaper. Her logic was that since she couldn't be rid of the thing, she may as well beautify it. Try to remove the scumble of dullness on its surface and hone it to its lustrous sheen. She was going to make it the centerpiece of her garden. But she got more than that. As she sanded, she noticed a thin sifting of gold gathering on the stone. She pressed the moist tip of her finger into it and pulled up a caking of gold dust. Her heart raced. She sanded faster, leaning her whole body into it, and more gold appeared. Now she was scrubbing the rock as, it were a, as if it were a bloodstain. With strong, sweeping strokes, bone and sinew bent to the work, and gold accumulated rapidly. She caught the virus in one swoop. She understood with perfect instinct what all this time she'd dismissed as sheer nonsense. Grown men squandering all else, homes, farms, and families, and reputations, and flinging themselves headlong into reckless escapades, spending their years, years burrowing beneath tree roots and grubbing through silt beds. But now she had it too. She had gold fever. She was going to be rich. She stopped a moment to wipe her brow to rest a spell, and that's, that's when she noticed something was wrong. Something was wrong with her wedding ring. The top side was normal, but the underside, the part that nestled in the crease where her finger joined her palm, wasn't. The band there was thin as a cheese slicer wire, thin as a filament. She had nearly sanded her wedding ring clean off. All that gold was merely filings. It was the, remem the remnants of her heirloom. It was her treasure reduced to, gold, to dust. It was all fool's gold. <clears throat> when I heard this story, it saddened my heart on so many different levels. She had taken a situation that had so, no solution other than to rest and accept that the rock was there. She looked at that work that she was going to be doing that was there as an opportunity to leave something beautiful behind. And then the world stepped in and told her, you can have so much more than that. And when it... <clears throat> and when it did, she began to destroy something very dear. Can you imagine how her heart was wounded? I know mine would have been destroyed. After all, this is an outward sign of an inward decision that I made with Joni a long time ago. In fact, 23 years is coming Sunday.
This ring does not leave my finger. It represents family. It represents what God gave me. Over the years, I've done a lot of things to wound Joni's heart, and I'm sorry for that, love. I've done a lot of things to wound my boys' hearts, and I apologize for that. I've done things to wound hearts in this room, and I apologize for that. This now is a constant reminder of the oath that I took in front of God and the responsibility that God gave me. God gave me the job to impact my family. This little piece of heaven that, gave, that he gave me here on earth, what legacy am I leaving behind with them? Am I killing their hearts at the same time that I'm killing mine by teaching them a worldview instead of God's view? The rest of God is more than just rest. It is a completion. The rest of God is justification. It is redemption. It is renewal. And it marks the road of sanctification that we walk on as we grow closer to God. And that is why Sabbath is so important. Because the type of rest that he wants us to have impacts every piece of our lives and determines the legacy that we will leave. In the creation story, God created the world and all the things in it. And each time he looked at what he had done, he said it was what? Good. After he saw that it was good, he would work on another piece of creation. That continues through verse 26 where he created us. And at the end of the sixth day, when we had been created, he said it was what? Very good. Genesis 2-2 says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God rested on the seventh day. I got to thinking about that. And we don't serve a God that gets tired, so why did he rest? God stopped working, doing the work of creation. He stopped not because he was tired. He stopped creating because he was finished. There was no other work to be done. He rested in his finished work. Let me talk about how blessed we are. This is where the gospel, the good news, defines what our rest should look like. The deep, soul-renewing rest that the Sabbath was meant for. If you are looking for the rest that you seek and the rest that God wants you to have, then ask yourself this, quest this question. Am I resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ? That's what Sabbath rest is. The rest of God that restores us. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that rest is yours. 
The only eyes that you need to, to seek approval in are God's. And if you have allowed Jesus Christ into your heart, then you are a child of God, and that acceptance has already been given. He has already said to you, This is my child in whom I am well pleased. Find rest in his finished work. That rest, that rest, will impact every other part of your life. Rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Band, you can come back up. If you do not know Jesus yet, if you have not asked him into your heart, please come back over to Next Steps and see us this morning. Do not leave here today without that rest in your life. Let us help you start that journey. If you know Jesus and he is Lord of your life, but you do not know how to find God's rest, please come back to Next Steps and let us talk. Let's see if we can help you walk that path. How are we leaving the hearts of people in our life? As we move through our lives, as we move through this world, are the hearts that we come into contact with strengthened by God's love through us? Are we leaving them better off than they were? Are we leaving them with the promise of Jesus or allowing the world to kill the hearts that we touch? Men, this morning on Father's Day, we are called to be the leaders in our homes. We are called to set the example by imitating Christ. Have you allowed Holy Spirit to change your heart? If you want to see Christ change this world, then be the change that you want to see. Be the change that you want to see. If you want to see your family pray, then pray. If you want to see your family in the Word, then be in the Word. If you want to see your f family have healed hearts, stop letting the world kill yours. Guys, if you don't have a place to plug into yet, we have a lot of opportunities here for you to, to, to get together with men, to get together with men and be in Scripture, to get together with men who are going to pray for you, they are going to help lift you up, that are going to hold you accountable. But that's a good thing, right? We have Monday night at 8 o'clock right up front in the youth house. We have Wednesday morning, there's a 5 o'clock prayer team that meets, and there's a 6 o'clock men's study in the morning up front. We have Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock at Chick-fil-A. And we have a Friday morning study that happens over at Bob Evans at 6 o'clock in the morning. There are a lot of opportunities for you to get it plugged in. If you haven't got plugged in, please come see us at, at Next Steps so we can help do that. Please come see us at Next Steps so we can help do that. It's important. It's important to your heart as well as your families and the other lives that you're going to impact. Ladies, y'all have got an awesome thing coming up as well. You and me forever study that's happening over the summer. If you haven't got signed up for that, but you are interested in it,
please come see us at Next Steps or fill out your card. Guys, ladies, be the change that you want to see. Let's pray. Father, you sent your son down to earth. You sent Jesus to finish a work that we were never going to be able to finish. Thank you for that gift. Allow us to understand the rest of God. We so want our hearts to heal. We so want our hearts to heal so that we might look more like your son every day. Father, I pray for this rest throughout our church, throughout our community. Father, we love you and we thank you and we pray in your son's holy and precious, powerful name. Amen.